Introduction Part 2 of Commentary on the Gospel of John Book 12 by Cyril of Alexandria Translated by Rev. Thomas Randall This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? He makes use of Christ's truth-speaking to charge him withal. When he heard him say, My kingdom is not from hence, he was indeed quit of his fear of an insurrection. But he still compels him to openly profess this thing, and defines as a charge his mere assertion that he had a kingdom, though he asserted that it was not of this world. He drives Jesus, as it were, to make this profession, and says, Thou hast confessed already that thou art a king. 37.38. Jesus answered him, Thou sayest that I am a king, to this end have I been born, and to this end am I come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? He does not deny the glory of his kingdom, nor leave it to the voice of Pilate only to affirm it, for as God he is king, whether man so will or no. But he once more showed the power of the truth which impelled Pilate, though reluctant, to declare the glory of him who was on his trial. For, he says, Thou hast said that I am a king. For this cause was I born, he says, and came into this world when I became man, that I should bear witness unto the truth, that is, that he might take lying out of the world, and, having subdued the devil, who gained his way by guile, he might show truth triumphant over the universe. Truth, that is, that nature that is truly sovereign by nature, which has not by craft acquired the ability to hold rule and dominion over heaven and earth, and, in a word, everything that is brought into being, nor has this been added unto it from without, but it is seen to be essentially and naturally inherent. In order, too, that he might show that Pilate's dullness of apprehension arose from his stubborn heart, and his reluctance to admit the truth, Christ fitly adds the word, Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. For the word of truth gains a ready acceptance from those who have already learnt and love it, but with others it is not so. Yea, the prophet Isaiah said to some, If ye will not believe, neither shall ye understand. Pilate showed at once the truth of this when he said, What is truth? For just as those whose sight is injured, and who have wholly lost the use of their eyes, have their sense of color entirely annihilated, so as not to note when gold is brought before them, or a shining and precious stone shown them. Nay, even the very light of the sun's rays excites in them no wonder, as they have no perception thereof, and can gain no profit from any such thing. So to men whose minds are warped, truth seems a foul and ugly thing, although it instills into the minds of those who behold it its spiritual and divine radiancy. 38.39 And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, 
I find no crime in him. But ye have a custom, that I should release unto you one prisoner at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For a condemnation at once of the want of piety, and of the cruelty of the Jews, he excels them in the knowledge of what was just and right, though he could not boast of divine instruction, but was merely the guardian of human ordinances, and reverenced most of all the enactments of those from whom he had his office as a gift. If the teachers of the Jewish law had so done, and chosen to be thus minded, they might very likely have escaped the net of the devil, and shunned the most abominable of all crimes, I mean the shedding of the blood of Christ. Pilate then hesitates to condemn Christ, who had been taken in and convicted of no criminal act, and says that he that was far removed from all guilt ought not to pay a penalty and strongly maintains that it is wholly at variance with the laws he observed, putting to shame the frightful frenzy of the Jews in contradiction to their own law. For he thought that, as they professed to reverence the doctrine of impartial justice, they ought at once to yield to the statement of what was just and right that he put before them, but perceiving that to acquit him that they had brought to him of all blame would imply no small condemnation of the precipitancy of the jews that they might not on this account insist the more vehemently and stir up a strange commotion he paved the way as it were and put the best complexion upon the matter by saying ye have a custom that i should release unto you one prisoner at the passover will ye therefore that i release unto you the king of the jews when he called jesus king of the jews he spoke in jest and tried to abate by ridicule the anger of the furious mob and hereby also clearly showed that this particular accusation was brought in vain for a Roman officer would never have thought a man condemned of plotting for a kingdom and revolution against Rome worthy to be released. He bore witness, then, to his utter guiltlessness by the very reasons he gave for his release. I think these words explain the drift of the passage and as I was considering and meditating in my mind how the custom arose for the Jews to ask for one man to be released to them, a robber, it might be, or a murderer, the idea occurred to me that they no longer regulated their actions altogether according to the law, but, choosing rather to use their own customs, they fell into a decayed state of manners not altogether in accordance with the Mosaic dispensation. But while I was searching the divine scriptures, and hunting everywhere for the origin of this custom, I came upon one of the divine dictates, which caused me to suspect that when the Jews sought the release of a malefactor, they were, in fact, in however mistaken a way, fulfilling one of the customs of the law. At the end of the book called Numbers, we find recorded the law concerning voluntary and involuntary homicide and when the penalty in the case of premeditated murder has been clearly laid down, the book goes on to speak of involuntary homicide, and, after other remarks, makes the following declaration. But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, 
or have cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled. Such, then, being the written commandment, when any, as it chanced, were involved in such a calamity, the Jews, when they were congregated together, that they might not appear altogether to neglect this enactment, sought the release of one of them. For the law laid down that it was to be the act of the entire assembly. As, then, they were permitted by the law to ask for the release of a prisoner, they make this request of Pilate. For after they had once accepted the Roman yoke, they were henceforth, for the most part, in the administration of their affairs, ruled by their laws. Nay, further, though it was lawful for them to put to death any one convicted of a crime, they brought Jesus to Pilate as a criminal, saying, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. For though they alleged as their plea their purification by the sacrifice of the Passover, yet they showed themselves flatterers of Rome, in entrusting to the laws of the Romans the duty which the divine commandment from heaven laid upon themselves. 40. They cried out therefore again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Herein also the Jews showed themselves indeed lawbreakers, and more inclined to give way to their own inclinations than to honor their ancient commandments. For though the Mosaic law ordered that a man who had committed involuntary homicide should be released, and not a man like Barabbas, for how could such a thing be? They preferred to ask for a notorious robber. And that the man here named was, in fact, a dangerous and brutal criminal, and not free from blood-guiltiness, the words of the inspired Peter to the people of the Jews will make clear to us. But ye denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted unto you. For they preferred a robber to him who regarded not his equality with God the Father, and took our poverty upon him for this very end, that he might deliver us from the true murderer, that is, Satan. And they were men adorned with the priesthood of the law, and who greatly vaunted themselves thereon. Yet they passed by and utterly rejected the commandment, Judge righteous judgment, and justified the murderer, condemning Christ, and cried with one accord, Not this man, but Barabbas. The Jews, however, will pay the penalty of their impious act, but we may well admire the Holy Scripture, examining it in the light of Christ's person, and this desperate outcry. For thus saith the prophet Jeremiah, I have forsaken mine house, I have left mine heritage, I have given my beloved soul into the hand of her enemies. Mine heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest, it crieth out against me. It may be well to explain this simile of the lion in the forest. 
he says it is with his heritage as when this great and frightful beast desires to seize some prey in the forest it goes up to a high peak and gives forth a great and fearful roar and strikes such terror into those who hear that man or beast at once fall prostrate not able to endure the awful sound of his threatening voice and the beast as it were makes them fall by the breath of his mouth and god confirms this saying also by the prophet when he thus speaks the lion roareth who will not fear the assembly of the jews therefore was as a lion in the forest to our saviour christ so far at least as their presumptuous clamour against him went for the nature of god endureth not panic or fear at all for the assembly by its clamour put him to death though pilate invited them to choose his release so that even those who had not yet learnt the divine law might be proved better than men instructed in the law nineteen one two three then pilate therefore took jesus and scourged him and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple garment and they came unto him and said hail king of the jews and they struck him with their hands he scourges him unjustly and suffers the crowd of soldiers to insult him and put a crown of thorns about his head and throw a purple robe upon him and buffet him with the palms of their hands and otherwise dishonour him for he thought he could easily put to shame the people of the jews if they saw the man who was altogether free from guilt suffering this punishment only without a cause he was scourged unjustly that he might deliver us from the merited chastisement he was buffeted and smitten that we might buffet satan who had buffeted us and that we might escape from the sin that cleaves to us through the original transgression for if we think aright we shall believe that all christ's sufferings were for us and on our behalf and have power to release and deliver us from all those calamities we have deserved for our revolt from god for as christ who knew not death when he gave up his own body for our salvation was able to loose the bonds of death for all mankind for he being one died for all so we must understand that christ suffering all these things for us sufficed also to release us all from scourging and dishonour then in what way by his stripes are we healed according to the scripture because we have all gone astray every man after his own way as says the blessed prophet isaiah and the lord hath given himself up for our transgressions and for us is afflicted for he was bruised for our iniquities and has given his own back to the scourge and his cheeks to the smiters as he also says the soldiers indeed take jesus as a pretender to the throne and insult him soldier-like and for this cause was a crown of thorns brought and put upon his brow being the symbol of earthly sovereignty 
and the purple robe was, as it were, an image and type of royal apparel, and ridicule also was thereby heaped upon him, for they came near unto him, and cried, as the evangelist says, Hail, King of the Jews! And I have heard some say, and to some the conceit is well-pleasing, that the crown of thorns further signifies the multitude of idol worshippers who will be taken up by Christ, as it were, into a diadem, through faith in him. And they liken the Gentiles to barren and useless thorns, through their bearing no fruit of piety, and being rather fit to feed consuming fire, just like rubbish in the fields, just as wild thicket which grows up without any culture. And the royal apparel, I mean the purple robe, they say, means Christ's kingdom, which will be extended over all the world. We may well receive any interpretation which is not alien to the truth, and which it is not unprofitable to believe in. We need not therefore reject such a construction of the passage, indicative as it is of careful ingenuity. 4. And Pilate went out again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him out to you, that ye may know that I find no crime in him. He confesses the wrong he had done, and is not ashamed for he admitted that he had scourged him without a cause, and declares that he will show him unto them, supposing that he would glut their savage passion by so pitiable a spectacle, and well-nigh accuses them henceforth, and that publicly, of putting him to death unjustly, and of compelling him openly to be a lawbreaker, who, if he transgressed his own laws, could not escape scot-free. The saying was fulfilled in Christ, and shown to be true, that the prince of this world cometh, and he will find nothing in me. For observe how Satan, after throwing everything into confusion, finds nothing at all cast out from God, and ranked under the power of sin, which he might, perhaps, if it had been referred to the Saviour Christ, have caused to be rightly condemned and implicated in his accusations. Just as, then, in Adam he subdued the whole human race, showing it to be subject unto sin, so now was he vanquished by humanity. For he that was truly God, and had no sin in him, was yet man. And just as the sentence of condemnation for transgression went forth over all mankind, through one man, the first Adam, so likewise also the blessing of justification by Christ is extended to all through one man, the second Adam. Paul is our witness, who says, As through one the judgment came unto all men to condemnation, even so through one the free gift came unto all men to justification of life. We, therefore, are diseased through the disobedience of the first Adam and its curse, but are enriched through the obedience of the second and its blessing. For he that was Lord of the law as God came among us, and kept the law as man. Yea, we find him saying unto us, He that loveth me will keep my commandments, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. 
Note how he, as lawgiver and God, has enjoined upon us the keeping of his commandments, and how, as keeping the law while a man among men, he declares that he himself also kept the commandment of his father. 5.6. Jesus therefore came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple garment. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. He showed then the Lord of all impiously outraged, and mocked by the intolerable insults of the soldiers, trusting that the furious wrath of the Jews would be sated, and now at last abate, and rest content with that most pitiable and dishonorable spectacle. But they were so far from showing any mercy in word or deed towards him, and from entertaining any kind of good intentions, as even to surpass the ferocity of beasts, and to hurry onward to greater evil still, and to make a still more furious outcry, condemning him to the worst of deaths, and compelling him to undergo the extremity of suffering. For what punishment can be as severe as the cross? And it is to the leaders of the Jews alone, it appears, that the wise evangelists ascribe the origin of this impious doom. For see how, as it were, carefully guarding his words, he says. When, therefore, the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. For when the multitude of the vulgar were, it may be, somewhat ashamed by the sight of Christ's sufferings, for perhaps they called to mind the wonderful miracles wrought by him, the rulers first start the clamor, and kindle into strange fury the passions of the people subject unto them. That which was said of God and the prophets concerning them is true. For the pastors have become brutish, and have not sought the Lord. Therefore all their flock perceived him not, and were scattered abroad. And the saying is true. For as those in the pasture, that is, the multitude of the vulgar, did not enjoy the direction of their rulers to the knowledge of Christ, they perished, and relapsed into ruinous heedlessness of Christ. For let any man that likes probe the origin of the impious crime, and he will ascribe it to the rulers. For it was in the outset their most unholy design. They it was who induced the traitor to make a bargain with them, and bought him over with the money of the sanctuary. They joined the band of soldiers to the officers, bade them bind him like the meanest of robbers, and brought him to Pilate. And now, when they saw him scourged, and well-nigh beside himself with insults from every quarter, are but exasperated the more, and utter the dictates of their unmeasured hatred. For they purposed to put the Lord of the vineyard to death, and thought they would securely enjoy his heritage, and if Christ were removed, that they would again rule and enjoy all honor. But as the psalmist says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh them to scorn, the Lord shall hold them in derision. For nothing happened according to their expectation, but on the contrary, the course of events was completely reversed. 
6. Pilate saith unto them, Take him yourselves, and crucify him, for I find no crime in him. Pilate is in consternation that the people of the Jews and the inhuman crowd of the chief priest should attain to such a pitch of presumption, as not even to shrink from subjecting Christ to so frightful a death, though no fault was found in him to bring him to such a doom. And, therefore, he says, almost like one annoyed at an insult offered to himself, Make you me a judge of this unjust shedding of blood? Am I, contrary to all Roman law, become the murderer of the innocent? And shall I, at your beck and call, fling to the winds all thought of myself? And shall I not, if I minister at my own peril to your request, live in expectation of paying the penalty? If you do not think that you are doing an unholy deed, if you think the work presents no difficulty, do you yourselves, he says you, who boast of divine instruction, you, who vaunt so highly your knowledge of your law. Do you fix the cross, dare the murder, do of yourselves the unholy deed, bringing down on your own heads the charge of this great impiety? Let the presumptuous act be the act of the Jews, and upon them let the blood guiltiness rest. If you have a law that subjects the sinless to so fearful a penalty, that chastises the guiltless, execute it with your own hands. I will not endure to be a party to it. We may imagine this to be what Pilate says, for his words are pregnant with some such meaning. And the shamelessness of the Jews may here also well excite our amazement for they are not even put to shame by the just judgment of a foreigner, though the divine law said concerning this people. For the priest's lips should keep judgment, and they should seek the law from his mouth. 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When their false accusation that they had at first contrived proved fruitless, and they established against him no attempt at revolution or revolt against Caesar's rule, for the Lord parried these charges, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. And when Pilate thereupon gave a just and impartial verdict, and did not as yet comply with their will, but said openly that he found no fault in him, the audacious Jews completely changed their tactics, and asserted that they had a law which condemned the Saviour to death. What law was that? That which fixes the punishment for blasphemers. For in the book called Leviticus it is recorded that certain men who were counted among Jews, strove together, according to the scripture, in the camp, and that one of them made mention of the name of God, and blessed him. For thus saith the scripture euphemistically, meaning that he cursed and blasphemed him, and was then doomed to die, and to pay a bitter penalty for his impious tongue, God plainly declaring, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin, 
and he that taketh the name of the Lord in vain shall be put to death, and all the congregation of Israel shall stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he taketh the name of the Lord in vain, shall be put to death. But perhaps someone may be in doubt and ask this question. What then does the law say, and what does it intend to signify hereby? For that a man who is convicted of blasphemy against God should die is, indeed, just, and he very rightly meets his doom. But suppose a man treat a false god with contumely, is he then not free from guilt? For the words of the law are, If any man curse God, he shall bear his sin. What do we reply? The lawgiver is infallible, for to love to hurl scorn upon false gods is, as it were, a course of preparation which makes us ready to utter blasphemies against the true God. Therefore also in another passage he dissuades us from it, saying, God thou shalt not revile. For he thought it meet to give unto the name of Godhead, though it be sometimes misplaced, the honor that is its due. The law, however, did not certainly bid us ascribe any honor to gods erroneously so called, but teaches us to regard as holy the name of Godhead, though it be stolen by some. As the law, then, orders that the man who is convicted of blasphemy should be rewarded with death, they say that Christ is subject to the penalty, for that he made himself the Son of God. We ought to bear in mind where, and in what sense, this was said by Christ. At the pool that was called after the sheep-gate, he healed the impotent man of his long and grievous infirmity on the Sabbath day. And the Jews, when they ought to have marveled at the wonders that he wrought, were, on the contrary, offended at his breaking the Sabbath, and for that reason only railed against him. Then Christ answered and said, my father worketh even until now, and I work. And thereupon says the evangelist, For this cause therefore the Jews persecuted Jesus, because he not only brake the Sabbath, but also called God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews then were offended when Christ called the Lord of all his father. And then he made this most mild reply to them, saying, it is written in your law, I said, ye are gods, and are all sons of the Most High. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. But the people of the Jews, remembering none of these things, make the truth a charge against the truth. And because Christ said what was in fact the truth, they assert that he is worthy of death. Here I will make use of the prophet's words. How do ye say, We are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? For would it not have been right, either first to ascertain by the strictest scrutiny who Christ was, and whence he came, and if he had been convicted of falsehood, then, very justly, to pass sentence upon him, or, if he spoke the truth, to worship him. 
why then did you jews give up searching and satisfying yourselves by holy writ and betake yourselves to making a mere outcry against him and why made you what was in fact the truth the ground for accusation you ought when you said unto pilate he made himself the son of god to have charged him also with the works of godhead and to have made his mighty wonder-working power a count in the indictment you ought to have cried out thereafter that a man who had been three days dead rose again and came back to life at the mere bidding of the saviour you ought to have brought forward the only child of the widow and the daughter of the leader of the synagogue you ought to have called to mind that divine saying spoken unto the son of the widow young man i say unto thee arise and to the damsel maiden arise you ought besides to have told pilate that he gave sight to the blind and cleansed the lepers of their leprosy and also that by a single word of command he calmed the storm of the angry sea and the onslaught of the raging billows and whatever else christ did all this however they bury in the silence of ingratitude and passing over those miracles whereby christ was seen to be god in malice they proceed to basely state the paradox and miserable wretches that they were they cried out to a foreigner who had no knowledge of the divine scripture and saw that jesus was a man he made himself the son of god though the inspired scripture declared that the word of god should visit the world in human form behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which is being interpreted god with us and what could that which was born of a virgin be but a man like unto us in bodily appearance and nature but besides being man he was also truly god end of introduction part two